And the only way that we can be assured that our name has been written in the book of life is through coming to faith in Jesus Christ, by believing that Jesus came and that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And by believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives, this ensures us that our names will be found in the book of life. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Paul is officially closing out the letter to the Philippians now. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Finally, but it wasn't actually his finally, finally, because he's going to come back to that in verse 8. And he's actually in this chapter going to close out the letter and he begins to deal with some individuals, three by name, that are only named in this passage in the New Testament. We don't find them anywhere else in the New Testament. They were connected primarily to the church in Philippi. And he also gives us some what I call proverbial sayings, somewhat like Solomon, but there's little one or two liners that he throws out there as he's closing out this letter. And to teach the church in Philippi, and I believe to teach us today how we should operate, how we should conduct ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ. He begins in verse 1 saying, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, me and my wife were debating, is it beloved or beloved Is it always beloved? Is it, do you read it beloved in one and beloved in the other? I'm not sure. So I'll say it both ways and probably switch it around on you. It can be said both ways. But he begins with the word therefore, and we've been taught in scripture when we see it therefore, it's just a a custom when somebody says therefore or writes therefore, you go back to see uh, the reason that word is put there for. It takes us back to the close of chapter 3, where Paul has been encouraging the church to press on, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus had also laid hold of them or us. And we do this by forgetting those things which are behind, by reaching forward to those things which are ahead, by pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. He also encouraged us in those closing verses of chapter 3 to mark the mature in faith and to follow their example and not to follow the example of the world whom he contrasts by saying 
that the ways of the world are like this. They are enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. Unlike the world whose minds are set on earthly things, we are to have our minds set in heaven as we are citizens of heaven. We're to be eagerly waiting for Jesus's return. Again, I've said I've observed in church life that people don't eagerly wait for the return of Christ anymore. They may say the words, but you don't see it being displayed through their actions any longer. And I I tell you that I'm probably guilty of this myself. And it needs to be a constant thought in our hearts that, Lord, you said you could come at any moment. And so let me be ready and let me be willing to do your work until you come, that we're to be eagerly waiting because when he comes, he's going to transform us. He's going to conform our bodies into his glorious image. Therefore, stand fast in the Lord. We're to stand fast in these things. They're not to just be a, a thought that we think about every once in a while. It is to be a, a standing theme of our life that Jesus is coming. And we are to conduct ourselves in such a way that exemplifies faith through our lives. And he says a lot of mushy things in between the therefore and the stand fast here. He calls the church in Philippi his beloved, his longed for brethren, his joy and his crown. Now, he repeated the word beloved twice there, and it comes from the root word of love, agapeo in the Greek. It comes from that root that means to love. But when we read agape, agapeo, as it's translated here as beloved, it, it really speaking about that type of love that stands scripturally, stands above all other. It stands above the love of a friend or of a brother, which in the Greek, as we know, is phileo. It stands above the love of people in our world who have this erotic sense, eros in the Greek, uh, erotic sense of what love is. It's above that. It's agape. It's a godly love that has first been shown through us through Jesus's coming and his death, burial and resurrection, his ascension into heaven. But also that through all that, that we have, can have the hope of salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's this love that we are to have because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives that we're to have this affection toward one another because of Jesus's love toward us. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul said it this way, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. It's the same Greek word translated as beloved here, and it's often or sometimes translated as dear or very dear to us in the New Testament that you have this special bond, this special relationship with one another. He longed for them. He called them his joy and his crown. Now, last week I mentioned that I have a hard time with this love word when it comes to believers. Usually when I've just met them, I've only talked to them for maybe five minutes. And before they leave, they tell me that they love me. And I think instantly, you don't know me. How can you love me? 
maybe this is wrong of me, but it could be my dad playing in because I remember my dad preaching from the pulpit. Don't tell me that you love me. Show me that you love me. Dad was talking about that of being a true believer in Jesus Christ. We can talk about faith in Jesus Christ, but if we don't live out that faith, then there's no proof in our actions. And true Christian love is demonstrated through our actions. It must be displayed often by action, but I see it in this fellowship often. And I just listed out a few things as I thought about the love that I see demonstrated in our fellowship. And here's some of the things that I wrote about yesterday as I was thinking about this. I see love being displayed through kind words that are spoken toward one another, through the body helping one another, sometimes through prayers, through lending a helping hand, or even giving uh, monetary gifts to see someone through difficult times. I see it in the efforts of our worship leaders and um, our Sunday school teachers and uh, the Kids for Jesus. I almost said Calvary Kids Club. Kids for Jesus. I wrote it down right here. Where there is that commitment from the individuals in these ministries, and ministries are a commitment. I see it through the Baby Bottle Project with uh, Tri-County Christian Parenting and no, Christian Parenting and Pregnancy Services. Yeah, it's a long name. And even when I tried to abbreviate it, you know, TCC, I mean, it just gets confusing anyways. But we've been through the Baby Bottle Gifts, being able to help support that ministry each year uh, through ShareFest, through our involvement with Love, Inc., through the different missions that our church has supported, and through ministries like The Most Excellent Way and Evangelism Explosion. I see that through the commitment of both sharing time and resources and sharing the love of Christ. Don't tell me that you love me. Show me that you love me. And I've seen that as we've come together toiling side by side in the work of the ministry. And I believe that that's where we're able to truly say, my beloved, you're dear to me, my beloved. Just as Paul, may I encourage you to stand fast in the Lord, beloved. We're also to be united and joyful in prayer. That's what the New King James guys said we should be. And the reason they said that, because of the first two verses, deals with an issue between two women in the church, where Paul says, I implore you, Yodia, and also I implore Sententi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so, Yodia and Sententi were women in the fellowship that had worked with Paul and administered with Paul there in Philippi. We know that the ministry of Philippi began because of a woman named Lydia who came to faith in Jesus Christ. We read about that in Acts chapter 16. She was the first, along with her household, to be saved not only in Philippi, but all of Europe coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But there were other women that also came alongside and worked with him. And when we read about Lydia coming to faith that day on the riverside there in Philippi, it doesn't mention any men being present. And so perhaps the ministry began among the women, but there was some kind of dispute that had risen up between these two ladies. And so Paul calls 
He says, I urge you also true companion. And we're not sure who the true companion. He doesn't identify this person by name. Some has said that it was Timothy. But if you remember back in chapter one, it's Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. They're writing to the letter. And so if Paul wanted to tell Timothy, he could just turn to him and say, Timothy, when you get there, I want you to deal with this. He didn't mention Timothy by name. He didn't mention anyone by name. Some believe that uh, perhaps it was Epaphroditus that he was referring to as uh, we'll meet him again next week as we close out this teaching. But we're not sure there was someone that Paul was targeting. And many times he would deliver the letter to an individual. It could be the elder of the church there in Philippi, but the letter would be read to the whole church. But it was given to an individual and perhaps Epaphroditus was giving this letter to a certain individual first and then to have it shared to the body and to that individual. Paul was saying, I urge you also, my true companion, that you help these women who labor with me in the gospel, that you'd help them work out the conflict. And he mentions Clement, which we have no other information of this but he had also labored with Paul there. There were others that weren't mentioned by name. He called them fellow workers in verse 3. But he says all their names are found in the book of life. That is so important this morning. If your name has not been written in the book of life, it is the book that our names must appear in if we are going to know the salvation of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can be assured that our name has been written in the book of life is through coming to faith in Jesus Christ by believing that Jesus came and that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again and that he ascended to the right hand of the father. And by believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives, this ensures us that our names will be found in the book of life. Turn with me to Revelation where it mentions the book of life back in chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Notice that there were books twice mentioned and that there is the book of life twice mentioned. And anyone whose name does not appear in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. This is not hell being represented as Hades here, but this is what is called the second death, that there'll be this eternal judgment, this eternal death upon those, all those whose name is not written in the book of life. Paul assured here the church in Philippi, those who had served alongside him and worked with him in the ministry there, that their names are in the book of life. And he has it by testimony of their surrender by the gospel, but also by their 
their works. He, he called them their fellow workers, that they had labored with him, that we can be found in the book of life. His primary goal, it should be the primary goal of each of us, to stand at the white throne and not have your name written in the book of life will be a horrific day indeed. Before I move on to the next verse, as true companions, as laborers of the gospel and fellow workers, having our names found in the book of life, we should be diligent to help resolve conflict in the body of Christ. Every relationship will have disagreements, and if left unresolved, can leave a wounded or severed relationship. And Jesus gives us three steps in resolving conflicts that, to be honest with you, quite often we do not apply properly. The three steps are found in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Three steps, three verses, and Jesus said, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even the church, let him be like to you a heathen and a tax collector. I don't think we have any IRS agents here but in, uh, they're not well-loved even today um, because we connect the IRS with taking money. It was the same thought back then. What even made it worse with Israel and the Jewish people is that the tax collectors collecting taxes for Rome were usually Jewish, and so they were considered to be betrayers to their Jewish brethren and sisters. And so they were not well-liked, well-received. But the three steps that the Lord has given us for resolving conflicts and obviously needed to be applied in this case, but was not rightly applied because Iodia and Sintaichi were still at a conflict that Paul had heard about even while he was in prison in Rome. So they were in conflict against one another, and the church began to talk about it, and it began to travel hundreds and if not a thousand miles to get to Paul. And Paul says, you guys need to work this thing out. What they should have done is what the Lord said in verse 1, go and deal with the issue between the two of you. Often, when conflicts happen, they can lead to severed or broken relationships and it's sad because usually that happens when we don't take the time to try to resolve uh, the issue between each other. We would rather go to others and talk about, do you know what so-and-so did to me? We would rather try to gain people on our side and to really gang up on our brother or sister when the Lord said your desire to, should be to gain a brother and not to gain up on them. But quite often, we, we skip step one. We, we don't like to have conflict with others, so we just don't deal with it. We don't go to the individual, but instead we talk about the individual with others. And in a sense, we skipped right over to step two, but we're not doing it properly because the Lord said, first go to the person. If they will not hear you, then take one or two more with you. And then again, you're going to the person again. You're not grabbing one or two more and talking about it, but you're, you're taking this party. And I, remember, the idea is to gain a brother or sister, not to gang up. And so when you take your one or two and you select the person you want to go with you, you don't 
pick people who are on your side, but you pick someone who's going to judge fairly whether you're right or wrong, and they're going to shoot straight with you and then see if the situation can be worked out. And if not, if that doesn't work, then bring it to the church. And in one sense, it had already brought to the church because these women had not resolved the conflict. It's been brought to the attention of the church. They hadn't been put out of the church. But Paul had heard about it while he was in prison. And he he says that, you know, you guys need to resolve this thing. Restoration should be our chief goal. If we truly want to resolve conflict with a brother or sister, then we must be willing to put aside our pride, which is usually at the heart of the issue, and to seek forgiveness. Sometimes when we seek forgiveness, we won't receive forgiveness. But the Bible tells us to forgive one another. It doesn't necessarily say we have to be forgiven. But we can forgive even though we have not been forgiven. And if that happens, if that's the case, then you have done everything that the Lord has required of you in that situation. You can let it rest and you can leave it in the hands of the Lord. If you don't seek forgiveness, there's a danger that the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 12, 14, where he says that a root of bitterness can come in and destroy. And that's the problem. Without resolving conflict, you can get this root of bitterness that comes in and it destroys not the other person's life. It destroys your life, your heart and your relationship with the Lord. And we need to remember to forgive, even though we've been hurt by others, that we forgive because forgiveness can lead to repentance. Repentance leads to restored relationship. And then we gain our brother and sister back in the Lord. And this is the passage in Matthew 18, where the Lord said, in context of this teaching of resolving conflict, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. I think this is probably the most misapplied verse in all scripture, because we like to apply it as a small church. We're a small church. So we would like to pray as a small church, Lord, you said, where two or more are gathered in my name, you are in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for being here. I have heard that verse prayed like that more than any other way my entire life uh, being raised in the church. That when we're small in number, let's pull the Matthew 18, 20 verse out and let's apply it to our situation. But it actually was applied to conflicts where I believe Jesus is saying, look, if you'll be obedient with me on this, I'll be with you in it. I'll go with you. And when you go together to try to resolve either by the individual or taking one or two with you or even bringing it to the church, I'll go with you. I'll be involved in it with you in the conflict. So we, as the beloved of the Lord, we are to not only love or hold dear each other here within this fellowship, but we are to stand fast in the Lord. As true companions, laborers of the gospel, fellow workers, having our names found in the book of life, we are to be diligent to help resolve conflict within the body of Christ. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we are to meditate on the best things. 
Those things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. We're to follow the teachings of God's word in order that the peace of God or the God of peace will be with us. Father, thank you so much for your word. As we close out this teaching with the song from Philippians 4, 8, and 9 again, Lord, may you be with us to apply the portions of this word that needs to be applied to our lives today. Perhaps, Lord, um, we haven't felt like you're beloved or haven't been showing the love of Christ toward others within this fellowship. Perhaps, Lord, there's conflicts that need to be resolved and the issues need to just be worked out. Perhaps, Lord, we haven't had that gentle spirit outside of the fellowship and people haven't seen you represented in our lives. And, Lord, we've been guilty of not rejoicing in all situations. We've been anxious over things because we haven't been meditating on the things of the cross and on the things that are pure and lovely and noble and good and praiseworthy. So, Father, the God of peace, may you guard our hearts and our minds and bless us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you need prayer today, if the Lord has spoke to you and you'd just like uh, to be prayed over, Marvin and Jeannie will be down front to pray with you today. Pray that God would bless you, that he would keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.